Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. How many of you are familiar with the tortoise and the hare? Take you all the way back to childhood, right? I thought that'd be more than, more than that. I'm going to have to describe this story to you. Uh, so the tortoise and the hare, it's, like, it's this fable, one of Aesop's fables, which uh, in the fable, the tortoise obviously is slow, the hare is fast, and at the very beginning, the hare is making fun of the tortoise and just says, do you ever get anywhere? And the tortoise says, of course I get somewhere. So the hare challenges the tortoise to a race. So there's going to be a race between the tortoise and the hare. And because of who the hare is, because inherent in the makeup of what it means to be a hare, the hare should win the race, right? Obviously, it's faster. The whole point of the story, it's got to be faster. The hare's going to win the race. And so they start the race. The hare takes off, gets way far out there, way ahead. And then the hare is like, I'm so far ahead, I'm going to take a break, right? And in the story, the hare takes a nap. Meanwhile, the tortoise, slow and steady, just keeps going. And eventually, the hare wakes up. Now the tortoise is so close to the, to the finish line, the hare takes off but can't catch up, and the tortoise beats the hare. And of course, the idea here is to teach the lesson, slow and steady wins the race, right? You know this, this, uh, this thing, slow and steady wins the race. For those of you who have never heard the fable, now you know where that line comes from. And I think there's a lot of us, whenever we talk in a Christian context about the tortoise and the hare, we think of ourselves as the tortoise, right? We're slow and steady wins the race. You probably even heard sermons preached like that. Slow and steady wins the race. But I think there are way more people who are Christians who are like the tortoise, or are like the hare than are the tortoise. What do I mean by that? What I watch all the time, this happens over and over and over again. Somebody will come to faith. They'll make a declaration of faith. They'll say, I I surrender my life to Jesus. And everything looks alive. And you go, I think we have a live one here. The rest of you don't know that because you're not quite yet there. We think we have a live one. Um, We're working on it. And, And so we're like, this is amazing. This is great. And then they, they make a public profession of their faith in baptism, right? We, we baptize people, and everybody celebrates, and we're all excited, and, and everything looks like the trajectory is the right direction. Everything in them, inherent in what it is to be a Christian and to live a fully alive, vibrant Christian life, seems to be present, and they get past baptism, and they disappear. They take a nap. They settle in. Or maybe they don't disappear, but they sort of settle into this sort of like legalistic, not really vibrant life. And there's not really any growth anymore. And it doesn't look alive. And it doesn't feel alive. And I think Peter knew this, that this happens. And so last week as we talked about what what uh, Peter addresses these people who have been scattered all across the edge of the Roman Empire. And he says, you as followers of Jesus, now you're facing hardship, remember who you are. 
And what he says is, you are chosen by God. And that would be enough to keep them going. You are chosen by God, but what he recognizes to be true is that that's not enough. That there's something beyond that. And his fear is that they would say, well, I got my chosenness, and now I can just rest on my laurels, much like the hair. He says, don't do that. Today we're going to continue this series, and what we're going to talk about is what Peter says is what comes after being chosen. And what Peter wants these folks to know is that the call to anyone who is chosen by God is to be holy. Now here's what I know. When I say that word, I don't know how many people are in this room, there's at least this many opinions about what the word holy means. Holy is one of these words that I've, you guys, if you've been around any amount of time, you know I have these words that really drive me crazy because Christians use them and we never establish what they mean. So we just throw them around. Discipleship is one of them. The gospel is one of them. We think we all mean the same thing. We don't. And so holiness and holy is one of these words that we just all assume we're talking about the same thing and yet we're not. And so I want to talk today about what does it mean to be holy. That's the, top, the, the uh, title today. What does it mean to be holy? So let's pray, and then we're going to continue in 1 Peter. So would you pray with me? So Lord, we do just thank you for your presence. And we thank you that by the blood of Jesus we have been purchased, that we have been chosen, that we have been one, that we belong to you. And Lord, as we talk about holiness and we talk about what it means to be holy, I ask, God, that you would give us grace. That by your spirit, you would teach us something today. Lord, would you put your words in my mouth? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to look at 1 Peter. Just picking up right where we left off. And something I do need to, to warn you of a little bit is if you don't know this in your Bible, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. In your Bible, the original uh, letter of 1 Peter did not have chapter or verse designations. Do you know that? Like Peter wasn't going, verse 12. I'm going to write this line, verse 13. Those were added later to help you find things, okay? So the, the, verse, uh, pay, the chapter and verse designations were added later. Because what we're going to do is we're going to read right on past the chapter designation 2. Because there's a complete thought that goes right on past chapter uh, the chapter designation. So we're going to begin 1 Peter 1, beginning of verse 13, and here's what we read. Therefore, picking up on what we did last week, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, 
but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, one of the things that Peter does from the very beginning of this letter is he tries to connect these Christians to the historic people of God. And Jerry did a nice job sort of pointing this out in the, in the first week. That what he does is he, he refers to them initially, right at the very beginning, as exiles. As you are exiles, God's elect, exiled. Just, so he's connecting them to the Israelites, who were also exiled. And so he makes this point, you also are God's people. And then as he continues on, we get to verses 10 through 12. And as I told you last week, what he was trying to say is, in the Old Testament, the prophets looked ahead and they saw the salvation that was coming that was not for them, but it would be fulfilled in the future. And so what Peter was saying is, you are the fulfillment of what God is doing in the world through his people. He's connecting them again to the Old Testament people of God. And so here in this verse, he does the same thing. He connects them again. You, don't, you maybe miss it. Your, verse, your uh, Bibles have a note in uh, verses 15 and 16. He says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. This is a reference, if you have a footnote in your Bible, it goes back to Leviticus. That's your favorite book of the Bible, right? Any of you feel really, really bad after you read the book of Leviticus? Feel like really gross? Some of you are like, I don't know. <laughs> Just read the book of Leviticus. You'll feel really, really gross. Um, <laughs> but this reference is back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, where, where God is, has rescued the, his people. He's rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And as he rescues them, what he says is, you have experienced my salvation. You have experienced my goodness. And now I extend to you an offer, I will be your God and you can be my people. That's the offer. That, and this is what he says in, in uh, Leviticus 11, 44, 45, says this. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I, the Lord, who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God, therefore be holy because I am holy. And then he says it again in Leviticus 19. He says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so as Peter is connecting the Christians to these early Israelites, what he's saying is, in the same way that God called the Israelites to be holy, you also be holy. So the meaning that Peter's trying to give to the Christians comes from the Old Testament. Ready for a fun Hebrew word? The word for holy is kadosh. If you've ever watched, um, what's that, uh, the one with the panda? 
Kung Fu Panda. It sounds like skadoosh, right? Have you, some of you are like, what's that? Watch the movie. You'll see. I'm in, I'm in a special space today. But this word is kadosh, and what it means, the word holy means to be set apart for a purpose. To be set apart for a purpose. And so when God calls these people to be holy, what he's saying is, be set apart for my purpose. What is his purpose? To show the world what he's like. That's the call that God puts on the Israelites. And so when Peter says, be holy... As the Lord is holy, what he's saying is, be set apart to the purpose of God. That's the point. But here's the deal. In the Old Testament, it's not just people who are called to be holy. The word holy is not just like a morality, like do these good things, avoid these bad things. Because in the Old Testament, the the land, the promised land is called holy. And the temple is called holy. And the things in the temple are called holy. And what, what uh, God is saying in those spaces is all of these things are set apart to God's purposes. And so there's something about purpose that comes uh, through the word kadosh. Many of you, how many of you grew up with fine china in your house? Anybody, is that still a thing? Like some of you who are older, who got married, did they give you fine china? And like some of you are like looking at me like crazy. Okay. What used to happen is there was a room called a dining room, and it was separate from the kitchen. Do you know this? I'm just going to describe to you my childhood. There was a room that nobody was allowed to go in, that had a nice table, was beautiful, that had a cabinet that had dishes and silverware in it that was so nice. People spent time polishing it even though you didn't use it. Nobody touched it. All of this stuff in my house was like off limits. We don't do anything with this stuff. When I say fine china, I mean we're using paper plates. That's what I mean in my house. But growing up, there was this whole separate room. Don't run through it, don't walk through it, don't touch the table, definitely don't touch the dishes. And all these things just sort of like sat for all, all kinds of time, and except for the two or three times a year that they would come out. And they would set, I I knew something important was happening when my mom would set the nice dishes out on the nice table. It was like, ooh, what's happening? Something is special. This is the idea of kadosh. These things are set apart for a specific purpose. If we use those dishes every single day, the meaning would be lost, right? So this is the idea, that these things are set apart for a purpose. It captures the picture of what it means to be holy. For any person, holiness is living and acting in accordance with your, the, the purpose for your life. That's what holiness is. It's living a life in alignment with the purpose for your life. Now, purpose has a real ability to bring clarity, doesn't it? If you've ever seen somebody who's an Olympic athlete, and their purpose is to like run the, I don't know, 100-meter dash, Is that a thing? That's a real thing, right? Me and Olympics. Um, But if their purpose is to like win the 100-meter dash, that purpose brings real clarity about life, doesn't it? This person has to train. So this, this purpose dictates to them what they eat, how often they eat, when they go to bed, when they get up, how much water they drink, 
how long they spend training, what kind of training they do. This brings clarity. Purpose brings clarity. But how do we determine what our purpose is? Because purpose brings clarity. Now, here's the deal. Everything in culture wants to tell you what your purpose is, doesn't it? There's so, I mean, I love Amazon and I love books, those of you who know me well. There's so many books written for the sake of trying to help you discover your purpose. But here's the deal. What the Bible says is only that person that created it or who owns it can tell you what the purpose is. Only the one who creates it or the one who owns it can tell you what the purpose is. And what Peter says is if you follow Jesus, you have been purchased by God. God now owns you. And he can tell you what your purpose is. Look at verse 17. It says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. What Peter is saying is you used to be enslaved. You used to be enslaved to all these other purposes. You used to live your life in accordance with all of these other purposes, and they are lesser purposes. And God purchased you by the blood of Jesus to his purpose. There's no such thing as completely free and independent of purpose. You were purchased from these lesser purposes into this new purpose. Does that make sense to you? When you surrender your life to Jesus, what that means is you have been given a new purpose. But Peter's really uh, gives you a pretty somber reminder, doesn't he? Right here at 17, look at this. He says, just because, he says, live out your time here as foreigners in reverent fear. He says, just because you're a chosen people doesn't mean you get a pass on how you live your life. It's sort of a passing reference to the Old Testament because the Israelites started going, well, we're God's chosen people, so what does it matter how we behave? We're God's chosen people, so what does it matter what we do? And he says, live out your lives as in reverent fear. Now, in the Greek, the word reverent isn't even there. In the Greek, it just says, live out your lives in fear. The word reverent gets, is implied. It gets added to, to qualify what fear, because what Peter is saying is, you don't need to be terrified of God. What you need to do is live your entire life within the front of your mind, knowing that God has purchased you to a new purpose. That every moment of your life is attentive to the fact that your life is not yours. That you are living a life that you don't deserve, that you did not earn, and that needs to be at the forefront of your mind. So catch what Peter is saying for me, and maybe you, for me, for what it means to be holy as a follower of Jesus. What Peter is saying is, be completely attentive at all times that you're living a life that you don't deserve. And in every moment, attend to what God's purpose is for your life. And what's God's purpose for my life? To demonstrate his character in the world. That's what I think he's saying to you. What I've discovered is that most people think holiness is abiding by some list of do's and don'ts that we ourselves have constructed, maybe with some help from the Bible, maybe with some help from some Christian that we like to listen to. We've constructed these do's and don'ts, and then we sort of edit them 
right? Don't we edit them to make sure that we fit within the confines, right? Be bad to make your own list of do's and don'ts that you're out of. So we make this list of do's and don'ts. We edit them a little bit so that we fit, and we say this is what holiness is. It's do these things, don't do those things. But that's not what biblical holiness is. And here's what happens, and this happens from time to time. People come up to me and they're like, Derek, you need to preach more on holiness. You really need to preach more on holiness. And do you know what they usually mean when they say that? They mean, I need you to call out the people who are outside of my list. And you need to make, make people feel like they're bad and worms and gross and all the things. Because they're outside of my list. But here's the thing, that's not what the Bible talks about. When Peter talks about holiness, and when the Bible talks about holiness... It's an entire life devoted and dedicated to the demonstration of the character of God in the world. That's what holiness is. It's living an entire life that is completely dedicated to demonstrating the character of God in the world. And that's it. Holiness, then, looks like this. It means in every area of your life, your first thought is, what does it look like in this area to demonstrate the character of God in the world. What does it look like? See, holiness is a lot less concerned with should you or shouldn't you sleep with this person. It's more concerned with how can I demonstrate the character of God through all of my sexuality? It's a different question. It's not concerned with should I buy this or should I buy that? Which thing should I spend my money on? It's like how can I demonstrate the character of God in all of my finances. It's less concerned with how should I, what job should I take? Should I take this job or that job? This job makes me mad. Maybe I'm just going to quit it. And instead it says, how do I demonstrate the character of God in my career choices? Holiness is concerned about how do I demonstrate the character of God in the world? It has a lot less to do with, with political stances and and. You know, like, well, how should I feel about abortion and immigration? How should I feel about those things that has way more to do with how do I demonstrate the character of God and how I think about and relate to the vulnerable? It's a different thing. Does that make sense to you? One says, well, I just have to vote a certain way. The other thing says, I have to take a whole life stance on caring for vulnerable people. Does that make sense to you? It's easy to look holy here on Sunday, right? Most of you took a shower to come, and I appreciate that. Makes me feel special when you took a shower to come here. The rest of you, I still love you. And we dress nice, and we put our clothes, you know, like, I put on nice stuff. Like, I don't wear college shirts through the week. Some of you didn't know that. Um, but we show up here, and we sing the songs, and we sing them loud, and we worship, we put our hands up, and all that, and that's fine. I love all of that stuff. It's real easy to look holy for an hour and a half on a Sunday. But biblical holiness is concerned with how do you relate to the people in your household the rest of the week? Do you demonstrate the character of God in how you parent your children? Do you demonstrate the character of God and how you relate to your spouse and how you disagree even with your spouse? Do, could people discover the character of God and how you do disagreement? 
Do you demonstrate the character of God and how you relate to those that you work with? Would people discover the character and the nature of God because you show up to work differently? And can I just say this? I've, I don't know. We don't talk about this enough. Do you know work is not a consequence of the fall? Do you know that? Like, I think a lot of us show up to work and it's like drudgery, right? Like, ugh, just got to get through the week. Do you know work was there before the fall? God actually intended us to be, the, be people who work. That's actually part of creation. And so we should show up in a way that we actually demonstrate the character of God in work. That work is like dignifying and it brings like value into the world. Would people discover that based on how you show up at work? Do you give all that you have when you show up to work? Do you actually contribute something or are you just there to collect a paycheck? These things have holiness implications. Would your neighbors discover the character of God by how you're a neighbor? Would your extended family discover the character of God by how you show up? Because that's what holiness is. Holiness is primarily concerned with demonstrating the character of God in every area of life. So here's the deal. God is generous. So holiness, holiness looks like I'm generous. God is faithful. So holiness looks like I'm faithful. God is trustworthy. So holiness looks like I show up and my word is good. And God is loving, which means we show up and we demonstrate love. Look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. What Peter's saying here is the gospel is an expression of God's love to you. That when you receive the gospel, you are born again by God's love. This is the imperishable seed that you have been given. And so you have love to give away. And so the way that you, do, that you express God's holiness into the world is that you love one another deeply. And he says, from the heart, which specifically means sincerely. We don't love one, one another to manipulate each other. We don't love somebody to take advantage of them. We don't love somebody for our own selfish gain. We love people because what we have to give is love. Because what has been poured out into our hearts is the love of God, and that's all we have to offer. So what does that look like? Chapter 2, verse 1. And I'll come to a conclusion here. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. All these things, if you think about how these things work, all of these things are a different system by which you get ahead. I deceive someone so that I can get ahead. I'm envious, so I'm like chasing someone. I'm trying to like accomplish what they've accomplished. I slander them to bring them down so that I look better. And he says these things are out of bounds for Christians. Why? Because we are people who have received the love of God. So we're not in competition with people anymore. If you have received the love of God, you're not in competition with anyone. Like the, the most value has been given to you because Jesus gave his life for you. The most value. And so what that means is there's no grounds for us to compete with anyone else. You see, the gospel says none of us were good enough. There's not one of us that demonstrated what God was like. We didn't even want to. Apart from Jesus, 
If you've ever tried to live the things, the ways that God lives, it's just not beneficial to you. None of us did it, and we didn't even want to. We were all separated from God, and so if God was going to give any value to us, it was going to have to be all on his side, from his initiative. And in the cross of Jesus, that's what happened. He said, you are worthy because I have called you worthy, not because there's anything worthy in you. And he gave his life for you. That's what happened. And so there's no grounds to compete. There's no grounds for fighting for our own value based on like tearing someone else down so that I can prove that I'm valuable. There's no grounds for any sort of malice or deceit. We don't have to lie to get ahead because the love of God has been given to us. We have value. We've been set free from having to deceive one another. And can I just say, just because I know myself, some of you are close enough to me to know that this is true about me too. There are spaces where that still shows up in my life. Anybody else? You're like, yeah, I surrendered my life to Jesus. And yet there are still spaces where I have to tear someone else down so that I can feel better about myself. There are still places where I sort of like circumvent the truth so that it's beneficial to me. Where that shows up, it's spaces where you have not experienced you have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You may have generally surrendered your life to Jesus, and then you run into yourself still, don't you? You're like, wait a minute, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm supposed to be a loving person, but I can't help but like, I'm just envious of these other people. I can't help, I'm jealous, and I just talk bad about them so that I feel better about myself. Any of those areas are areas where you have not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But here's the deal. If you've received the grace and mercy of God in Jesus, the invitation to you is to live every area of your life that way. To live every area of your life in such a way that it would testify to the goodness and the character of God. And the fact of the matter is that's the only way that we accomplish the mission we've been given. As we begin to testify in our real lives about the goodness of God and the character of God, what ends up happening is our families get transformed. And our workplaces get transformed. When we don't go to work to tear people down so that we can be the next one for promotion, it changes how our workplaces work. It changes how our schools work and our dorms work. And at the end of the day, our mission statement to transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel, the way that works is what's called holiness. That our lives begin to testify of the goodness of who God is. That people begin to discover the character of God because they've been around us. That's the invitation to all of us. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.